This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. Welcome into the Huskies Warming House Podcast, episode 156 here in the Den. Nick Maxson and Noah Grant here to bring you this week's action, and we are primed and ready for the last final week of college hockey. I believe we are, I want to say, um, in fact, I'm not even going to guess on it. I might as well just pull it up so that I know. I believe it's week 28 of the college hockey season, week 28 or week 29 of the college hockey season. So this is it. On the men's side, of course, the women are done. So we're going to obviously, in our extra ice session, preview the Frozen Four and see what we anticipate coming out of that. As far as the main portion of the show, our NCAA recap will be replaced by the St. Cloud State men's hockey team, their offseason. Talking about some bodies that have already moved on, uh, other guys that potentially are going to stay, and then maybe some incoming freshmen here and take a look at uh, who could be coming in on this roster here of potentially, I believe, nine to ten players the Huskies might have to replace as we move uh, into next season. And then we're going to talk a little bit, uh, of course, about other player moves not related to the Huskies, specifically the NCHC on the men's side and some NHL signings. And then we're going to finish the college hockey portion of this, talking uh, both the Richter Awards and the Hobie Baker Awards and kind of our thoughts as we move into tournament time and Frozen Four time. Then, of course, the Minnesota Wild. They're still doing all right, I think I would say, and inching ever closer to a playoff berth. So without further ado, we start, as always, with Center Ice View News and Notes in the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Round. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey. From game notes, recaps, photos, and more, go to centericeview.com. Round up here, Noah, and it starts with some more uh, Hockey Canada news. Uh, we've been following the story essentially since it broke, and uh, this is an interesting, de- interesting development here. Uh, players from the Canada's um, 2018 World Junior Team uh, were not going to be allowed to play for the national team until an investigation of an alleged group sexual assault is completed. And mind you, this is coming from Hockey Canada in a statement to TSN. Um, just coming just this past Monday. Now, the next national team tournament is scheduled to begin in May, and it's split between Finland and Latvia. So uh, interesting yep. news here, Noah, because this might tell us uh, essentially uh, maybe – a couple of things, uh, but it certainly sounds like Hockey Canada is looking to try to get this thing done and, uh, and and really try to you know put this behind them 
so to speak. Yeah. And doing their due diligence, which I think the new regime that's there and, you know, the head of operations, you know, of course they had a complete overhaul of their board and their committees and such. I think just trying to say, uh, you know, I believe this is a protocol that potentially stems before this incident even, but really essentially anybody under investigation, not allowed to play on the national team um, and good on Hockey Canada for continuing that investigation, making sure that everything is done and due diligence has been had uh, before they let any of these players play. Now, it doesn't really uh, dial in specific players at this point because of course every player on that team can't join any national tournament but it does give us some clarity as to kind of where we are at in the investigation and that the process is simply continuing and hey we've got more hockey coming up in may which is not exactly a bad thing either no not at all um i certainly thought that the world juniors uh, the makeup uh that was what august september what well, was kind of fun uh, yeah. especially when uh essentially the sports world didn't you know it's kind of their dead period, right? Besides maybe Major League Baseball. Um, speaking of the NHL and shall we say more hockey, uh, interesting signing extension, more so the timing. Uh, Rangers signing Philip Hedl to a four-year extension. $4.43 million is the average annual value. Of course, Hedl, 23 years of age, 22 goals, 42 points in 66 games this season. Uh, part of that kid line uh, over the past couple of years uh, has got some finish to his game and a good extension by the Rangers. Interesting though, the timing of this. I wonder if that's something they've been working on for some time and just found the right deal at the right time. And the Rangers have finally got one of their young players extended. Yeah, my guess is as they move closer and closer to summer, they kind of realize that, you know, the odds of them maybe keeping both Tarasenko and Patrick Kane along with Panarin might be a bit interesting in terms of the salary cap shuffling, but they know that obviously 23 years old, one of the young guns here averaging probably 0.75, somewhere around their points per game this season, pretty pretty easy no-brainer to want to hang on to him for a pretty affordable contract a little over four four million dollars almost four and a half you know for that kind of production uh in a young body i think is a good signing for the rangers speaking of the rangers uh they of course have clinched a playoff spot in the east as has new jersey and carolina in their division and then also as of today on sunday afternoon boston toronto and tampa bay in the east have all clinched so the top three seeds from both the atlantic and metropolitan divisions are in we're still waiting for the final two there the New York Islanders have a pretty good shot. And after that, it, all bets are off for all those teams. There's actually, I think, about six teams left that are mathematically still have a chance as of Sunday. Last two weeks of the regular season of the National Hockey League here. So we're going to get an answer pretty soon. In the West, of course, Vegas and Edmonton in the Pacific have hit that mark. Los Angeles needs one point to lock up that third spot in the Pacific. Um for their top three on their side of things. And Minnesota needs two points to do the same and lock in a playoff spot on their side in the central. So uh, I believe 98-99 uh, uh, is kind of the magic number for a lot of these teams here. Uh, Colorado and Dallas, one point behind Minnesota. They need three points to round out the top three in the central. And then it looks like Seattle is probably going to be in in one of those wild cards. And then Winnipeg is kind of fighting for their playoff life with Nashville and maybe one other team that uh, is, agree. Yep, yep. is trying to hang on there. So uh, we're going to get our answer here. The wild of course have six games remaining. We'll talk about them in the main portion of the show. Final topic here, Nick injuries very quickly here. Ottawa, the senators, Thomas Shabbat likely out a couple of weeks. His time frame actually puts him to be back for the final game on the 13th. My guess is they'll probably shut him down for the year. Uh, Vancouver Canucks defenseman Philip Ronick is done for the season as well with a shoulder injury in Jeez. San Jose. In the AHL, top prospect William Eklund undergoing season-ending surgery on Thursday for a torn labrum in his left shoulder.
and welcome into the main portion of the show, episode 156 here in the den. Nick Max and Noah Grant here. We're going to start things, of course, with St. Cloud State and the men's team on the college side here. I do want to mention a caveat before we kind of recap the weeks that we had personally as well. Uh, we're going to start off, of course, on the men's side today talking about their offseason. I imagine we're going to circle back and probably do the women's team as well, maybe next week, maybe the week after. So I think we want to kind of hit that as well. So for those fans on the women's side, we do have one piece of women's news today that is awesome uh, and is great to kind of transition us into that uh, in the next couple of weeks. And on top of that, uh, we also had a good conversation with Brett Larson uh, the other day, by the way, and we're going to have him on the show uh, in the coming weeks. When that is, we're not quite sure uh, as of now, but we're going to reach out. And once we know more, of course, fans of the Den uh, will be the first ones to hear about it. But Nick, uh, before we kind of get started here, I am just getting done uh, from a men's league tournament, actually winning our men's league tournament here uh, in Minot. A lot of Canadian teams coming down in this tournament uh, as well and uh, giving us a good run for our money, but ended up four to one. Uh, we're down after the first period today and came back and ended up winning six to five to win the championship. So that was a lot of fun. I am dog tired, but in typical hockey player fashion, we're recording this in the middle of the day on Sunday and we're going to be skating again tonight for fun because we're psychos. Right. So, um, <laughs> other than, we? Uh, it's, <laughs> it's not me. Yeah. No. Okay. Well, let's not jump the gun too far. Um, uh, actually, yeah. But. Well, speaking of, um, you actually had a recent matchup or at least the North Iowa Bulls did with a team from America's wasteland here in North Dakota, the Bismarck Bobcats. Other mm-hmm. than that, how has the week been? How has the weekend been? Uh, anything interesting going on in your world? Oh, geez. Um, not really, honestly, not really. Not really. Uh, definitely some projects are trying to be finished. Um, you know, as much as the uh, the college hockey season has winded down, um, was trying to get out to the Frozen Four credential that wasn't in the cards this year. Um, you know, so we'll be, uh, what do you call it? Just kind of taking it in from at home. Uh, <laughs> you'll, you'll be a peasant <clears throat> like the rest of us. Exactly. Um, it's funny because I actually purchased my plane ticket quite a while ago, yeah. anticipating, you know, not knowing where the regionals were going to be set and then when you saw all three Minnesota schools, I, I wonder uh, some of uh, the airlines at MSP would have thought about that. Cause now essentially one fan base that has to uh, make that trip um, was able to get uh, essentially need credit for the full. So that's the way I purchased the ticket. So that was not too bad. Uh, but then again, uh, depending on the, uh, how the North Iowa bulls do the right now, they're currently in a playoff position. Um, barely, but they're in one. Um, and if they uh, are able to at least probably what four points, probably puts yeah. it into a lock. Um, they get two ones of the next four that will do it. And mind you, the next four against Bismarck, who was, uh, well, again, the central division, everybody is is not safe at the moment. So <laughs> we'll see. So if they make it, we'll, we'll be following that team throughout its uh, NAHL playoff vault. And then uh, some other fun projects that I'm working on as well, some job opportunities as well. So. Yeah, the NHL heating up. Of course, North Iowa sitting in third at 61 points. Minot, a sweep of Aberdeen last weekend, putting them with a tiebreaker at 58 points. They are in the last playoff spot. Aberdeen is in fifth, also at 58 points. And then Bismarck, after the sweep of North Iowa, like you mentioned, at 56 points. Every team has four games left to play. The Toros, the the line doesn't get any easier. Of course, they match up with the best team in the Central uh, in the Austin Bruins for the final four games, a home-and-home home for them. And then 
if you're Aberdeen, who's chasing the Minotauros and North Iowa in those playoff spots, uh, they have the second place team, the St. Cloud Norsemen, who have been red hot in the second half of the season. Yeah. So things don't get easier. Bismarck's going to try to give North Iowa a run for their money as well, too. So um, the Central Division in the NHL continues to offer a lot of intrigue uh, as we move through. So uh, I guess our schedule's... Uh, in the coming weeks to be announced <laughs> depending yeah. on how the teams uh, end up doing here. But uh, what unfortunately has been announced is the St. Cloud State men's team is done for the season. They will be watching the frozen four along with the rest of us peasants, like we kind of had mentioned, but there are things that uh, we kind of get to go through uh, related to the St. Cloud teams before we get to the men. As I mentioned on the women's side, though, a very brief note um, that will probably open up a little bit more in the next couple of weeks. But on the women's side, Brian Idolsky, the head coach of the team, was named the USCHO, U.S. College Hockey Online's Coach of the Year. Um, Nick, it, to you and I, no surprise. Um, no. I mean, what a well-deserved honor. This St. Cloud team, one of the best seasons in team history, I, I'd say the change was immediate. It was noticeable. And this team was a top 14 team in the country and just ever so shy of being an at-large bid for the national tournament. Really was. And, uh, you know, it didn't take us long, right? When I uh, went up there and called a couple games early this season, the, uh, the play on the ice, the structure was literally an immediate difference. Um, uh, just surprising uh, in a sense that, the change was that immediate, right? Cause sometimes you take over a squad and, you know, you, you want to incorporate some different things. And, uh, you know, sometimes you, you do it essentially the snap of a finger. Uh, sometimes you, you kind of introduce things in layers, uh, just so that you don't overwhelm players. So, and I, I think maybe, uh, Noah, we don't give enough credit to the players who bought in and whether, you know, I don't know, maybe some of the player talk, we'll talk about this too in the coming weeks, you know, whether, uh, they feel like they had to, or whether they did truly believed it, uh, Adolski, a demanding coach, she got, um, he squeezed every last ounce out of that squad. Yeah. And uh, you really do have to credit the entire organization. But Adolski, of course, being at the head that um, really turned things around. And uh, holy cow, uh, much deserving of the honor and more curious as to how what's the next step in your number two. Right. Because uh, we'll talk about it, obviously, in the next couple of weeks, but some changeover. Uh, we yeah. briefly touched on it, um, but. Still good foundation, and uh, I, I think uh, now for the for the Huskies, how do you keep this floor at this level, right? How do you continue to grow higher? That's going to be the next challenge for Idolski and the women's team. Yeah, we mentioned it. Seven players in the portal, two of which have already went to Robert Morris. So mm -hmm. um, you can tell there are a lot of players who bought in, a lot of players who maybe saw the writing on the wall or didn't feel the system fit them. So it's definitely been, uh, uh, you know, get on the bus because it's leaving the station, <laughs> you know, yeah. kind of kind of mentality here, which is uh, can be both a good and a bad thing. But right now, it seems like the trend, the bus is going in the right direction, so to speak. So uh, obviously, the women's team, like we mentioned, in the next week or two, I think we're going to kind of circle around and see uh, what's in store for them. Women's hockey. Um, traditionally um, and thanks by the way for our very own Sid Wolf uh, at the rink live doing a fantastic job with her transfer portal stuff especially on the women's side uh, the women's side traditionally a little bit harder to kind of gather information pretty readily compared to the men's side so we're going to do our best trying to put some of those pieces together that we've already started working so if it takes an extra week longer than we anticipate it's not because we don't want to get the info out it's because we want to make sure that the information is accurate up to date and correct so uh, we mm -hmm. want that for all of our listeners of course uh, a lot of news coming from the rink live on the men's side as well too. Mick Hatton, Brad Schlossman, Sid Wolf, uh, all playing a hand on this as well. 
Uh, let's talk about the men here for St. Cloud. Of course, as we mentioned last week, Brendan Bushy, Spencer Meyer on the back end, Grant Crookshank, Micah Miller, Aiden Spellacy on the forward side, all done. And then, of course, Jackson Castor in net. His eligibility is up, so those bodies definitely will be missing for next season. Congratulations, uh, Bushy and Spellacy, both with Kalamazoo in the ECHL, playing for the Wings there together. Micah Miller with Tucson in the AHL. What a great opportunity for him. I mean, mm-hmm. if you would have, and this is not taking anything away from Micah, but if you would have told me two years ago at the end of his junior season that he would be jumping right into the AHL, would that have surprised you a little bit? No, actually, Dan, because I think you saw, you know, like some of the Huskies players in the past where you saw some of the glimpses of the tools, uh, just maybe, a, you know, lack of consistency, right? Um, you know, was there enough there to impress? And mind you, with Steve Potman down there, uh, you know, very decorated coach down there with Tucson uh, on his second stint as a coach. Uh, people around will tell you he's one heck of a hockey coach. He demands of his players and he likes to play a North style game. So it fits Mike and Miller, I think, really, really well, who, again, we know uh, skates really well. He can play a heavy style of play. If he Also a little bit of scoring touch. We didn't see that a lot this year, but we have seen it in years past. He's in the right spots with and without the puck. So great opportunity and uh, see if he can continue to refine his game. And, you know, with the Arizona Coyotes organization, yeah. at least for now, that's a whole different uh, thing that we'll, we'll touch on in the coming weeks too, because there's been, uh, shall we say, some roadblocks put in place. I'm not sure if you heard about this, Noah, but yep. that uh, lawsuit by the city of Phoenix of all of all people's nature that and just you know you could call it a frivolous lawsuit because they're essentially challenging a, a residential zoning thing by the airport uh to the city of tempe which here we go again just more and more things just you know trying to kill this thing uh but you know there's room where if mike and miller impresses does he get a call up you know you, you just you never know I, I think he is on a minor league deal at least right now yeah but who knows you make an impression you sign a long-term deal and maybe get your your um your jersey called going up to the big club so who knows but congratulations to Micah. Well-deserved. Yeah, good thing we're only 44 days away from uh, the people's vote in Tempe on the other side of things mm-hmm. too, right? Uh, well, yeah. And, and, and for those who... <laughs> And for those who who haven't followed this, right, uh, essentially the city of Phoenix is challenging the building of the residential areas that are in this plan. And it's not a runway thing. It's a noise thing, which is funny because if you actually break down the lawsuit right across the street from this proposed entertainment district is, you guessed it, apartments right um for those in the twin cities era i still remember back it's probably been 10 12 years ago when uh, uh essentially that the mac council who runs the minneapolis airport uh they actually paid money to residents of south minneapolis to put soundproofing in the roofs they did a number of different soundproofing sort of like barriers that are around the runway they really control the noise so um it, it's funny to me that the city of Phoenix of all places is trying to disbarden yeah. it. So it's, it really goes to show, um, you know, whether it's a legitimate lawsuit or not. And what I mean by legitimate is, you know, what's the damages to the city of Phoenix in this, right? What's yeah. the, what's why. And it's just the timing to me is interesting, right? Because at the end of it, we're that close. Um, the counties, the, was it the minority order over already haven't been arrested too. There's a lot of bad press there. Uh, to me, yeah. it's, it's kind of a, uh, what do you call it? There, there seems to be a trend here of just trying to put a negative, uh, shall we say, eye in the public uh, this close to where the vote's taking place. To me, the lawsuit will get tossed out. Uh, but again, you, you never know how <laughs> powerful these things can be in the perception of the public, which again has essentially the final say. And we've talked about it too, Noah. And I'm sorry to ramble. I'll try to keep no, it short. Um, but you, know, you kind of wonder if this does fail by the public, what 
the options are, right? Because I know we've, we've seen it, right? The NHL has poured resources, both money and time and commitment into this organization to be in Arizona. I know they want to stay there, but if something like this fails without really a long-term plan for Arizona, they know they can't stay at Mold Arena. Um, what happens next? Um, we hope it doesn't get to that point, but let's just say it does. Oh boy, I think the conversation changes quite drastically. So basically what you're saying is Micah Miller could be the savior for the Arizona Coyotes. You heard it here first on the Huskies Warming House podcast. Yes, very much so. Um, no pressure on the kid, right? Uh, anyway, on the other side of that, Jackson Caster, NCHC goalie of the month last month. No surprise for him there. Nope. Uh, him and Grant Crookshank, of course, remain unsigned as far as that uh, graduating group. Um In that, and I believe Spencer Meyer as well would be the other one that would be included Correct. in that list as well, too. Uh, on the other side of things, more news. Chase Brand, of course, had 34 points in 117 total contest. He'll be a fifth-year player next year. Brady Zemer um, will be a senior next year, 52 games played for him for the Huskies. Um, they both enter the portal. Zemer has already gone to Augustana. Um, Chase Brand has not been picked up yet, so losing a couple of players there uh, via transfer portal already for both of these players. Uh, Brady Zemer, of course, didn't see a whole lot of time. A, a guy that... Uh, you know, brings a lot of grit and tenacity. I like the move for him for Augustana. I think he'll get a lot of playing time. Just never really got a chance in this lineup, I think, with the defensive no. depth. Chase Brand, on the other hand, has been a utilitarian player that kind of battled some injury pieces as well. I think he had three separate ones this year um, and was kind of up and down in the lineup throughout his tenure. Um, were you, one, surprised by that move? And number two, where do you see a guy like him ending up? Uh, not really, uh, for chase, you know, as you mentioned up and down the lineup really didn't seem to find a fit wherever that Brett Larson and the staff put him, um, just, and then the overall consistency with his game, right? I, I think chase brand certainly skates well, uh, sometimes without the puck, you know, you kind of got caught and say, I always say the wrong side of the puck on times, uh, just didn't really seem to find, what do you, what do you want to call it? Right. The right, really. the right consistency yeah. and chemistry, um, so it's it's too bad, right? Because you know there's some elements to his game that's really good, right? He's he's already played Division One hockey. Uh, now where does it go? That's tough, right? Because you know for for Brand, obviously the the injury pieces do hurt, and yeah, uh, I would think that. I got to speculate. What I got to guess? Uh, how about St. Thomas? Kind of doing a Trevor Zins 2.0 kind of thing. Possibly. Um, you kind of wonder, though, with St. Thomas, because here's the difference. St. Thomas has got one heck of a recruiting class coming in. Yeah. Um, now, granted, you know, and with Chase Brand, too, just from what he's shown, you know, is there, you know, what are the teams out there? What can they bring in that he doesn't provide? Right. It's it's right. sort of that catch 22. Um, we certainly hope that Chase Brand does find a team. Um hard to guess where he ends up i think you know and obviously i've never been in that position but i think when you enter the transfer portal you know you, you have ideas of maybe where you want to go uh conversations you want to have but at the end of the day we saw this last year right where some players are not picked up even come august or september right so you're hoping to find a fit um to play more division one college hockey um hope he finds a spot and hope he continues his uh, playing career yeah, I think a lot of places definitely will give them a look. Maybe even you, you stick around the state of Minnesota, maybe even Bemidji too. Of course, a lot of a bit of familiarity with the coaching staff there too, obviously with some yep. former St. Cloud State guys as well. So like we said, wishing him the best. Of course, for those who don't know, in fact, Colorado College had this exact instance happen with one of their players entering the portal. You can enter the portal and then come back to your own team. It doesn't mean you have to exit your group, but you have once you've declared um, essentially your roster spot has disappeared. Yeah. Yep, and then open. you, you kind of have to re 
apply, quote unquote. Um, so, so it's kind of an interesting process there, obviously. Also, as a fifth-year player, you wonder if there's scholarship things or maybe just simply not having his program available here too. A lot of components that obviously uh, play into that as well. But wishing both of those guys, Zemer and Augustana, very close to home. Going to be interesting to see how that program obviously does as they move into their next steps. Uh, as far as guys that are going to be here that we know of, all the NHL draft picks, Dominic Bassey, Jack Peart, Vieti Mietnin, Adam Ingram, all will return next season. So the goaltending mm-hmm. situation has some uh, solidarity, at least for the time being. Him and James Gray will talk about a third that is definitely uh, on his way as well. Uh, Kyler Kupka, um, fifth-year player next season, plans to return 25 points in 35 games this season. Um, had a pretty dynamic and career year for him at the college level last year. Um, he's a guy that uh, I think if you're Brett Larson and the coaching staff, you got to be pretty pleased he's coming back. Yeah, and we've talked to Brett Larson in the past, uh, especially over years past when I was, shall I say, more around the team off. And he talked about how Kuka has kind of a sneaky shot, right? Uh, coming down from Canada, it was always one of the highlights of his game. He wanted to shoot more. I think we saw that a little bit more this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even more so, his play along the boards is really, really good, especially kind of in a checking role. Uh, but then sort of that next step, right, is how we turn winning those battles into offensive chances, right? And I think if he shoots the puck more like he did, even more so this year, um, the point could might even climb higher so he's got a lot of intangibles he's got a lot of tools but can he put them together in the right way uh, to make more of an impact he certainly saw a big step this year why not a fifth i think he can make some noise if he uh in his uh, next year yeah kind of a late bloomer but i think he kind of reminds me if you took zach okabe and yami cranola and kind of fused them together in certain aspects has mm-hmm. tendencies from both of those guys so to speak speaking of those two let's start with zach okabe and dylan anhorn they're both on the fence about a fifth year themselves i would love to see dylan anhorn back i think if he makes similar noise to what he did last season before his injury i think there's a lot of teams on the next level who are going to be calling his name very quickly um but i think you know i think maybe they're a little bit gun shy because of the injury so i think they want to see a a bigger sample size i think as a huskies fan we do too right uh dylan come back for a fifth season as well as zach come on we need the buzzsaw mentality i want to keep saying it we need you back right but and from all indications at least from other people i've talked to is that it the anticipation is that he would return um granted you know obviously we don't know all the ins and outs uh but I think you're right. I do think some of those pro teams would be a little shy considering the nature of the injury too. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's probably the bigger question mark. It's not just like a broken wrist or a broken leg. Uh, you know, this was a little bit more, shall we say, intricate. Um, and part of his game, again, it was the, his skating, his IQ, right? So I think you take a fifth year, um, you know, as a, I think like graduate, right, for him. And yep. then, you know, he'll have another showing. Um, he stays healthy. Um, I know that he was making some lists of college free agents that, you know, really looking to sign him. Honestly, I think if he doesn't get injured, he may have been in the Holby Baker top 10 conversation too. Yep. Uh, not necessarily the top three. We'll talk about those later, but certainly was impressive as a defensive uh, you know, person here on the Huskies. Yeah, other guys expected to go the other direction and sign pro contracts. Yami Cranla, of course, what a mm-hmm. season he had. Actually had uh, a, a similar point projection to one of the top three Hobie Baker finalists that we talked about. Um, that would be Matty Nyes, in case anyone was curious there. Um, mm-hmm. Pretty similar stat lines for both. I uh, would not be surprised to see him go. Would be, I mean, be great to see him, you know, <laughs> on the other side of things. But uh, and then Andre Trable actually um, anticipated as well, too. Again, I, I still think he brings a sneaky offensive side to his game that a lot of people kind of overlook and i think some of these pro teams are seeing you know 
they can maybe mold him into a continue continued good offensive defenseman that continues to bring some punch from the back end. And maybe you play him in slightly sheltered minutes and kind of let him run a little bit with a good defensive defenseman, almost like, you know, Matt Dumba, Jonas Brodin kind of thing. Uh, if that makes sense, but his name has been the other name that's been floated around, which maybe was a bit intriguing, I think, when we first read it, but like it's not out of the question. No, and you know, again, his his big thing is neutral zone. Sometimes he reads plays really well coming to the middle. He steps up, you know, breaks mm-hmm. up opportunities. Um, I think the big thing was with him, maybe development wise, is maybe in his own end, maybe some physical battles in front of his own net. Um, but overall, you know, that offensive part of his game. Uh, it's a lot of things you just can't teach, right? There's some of those instincts that as a player, when you're in those moments, you can just sense and you just react, right? And he has that, um, that every defenseman has those. So like you mentioned, you put him with a good pairing uh, to really unlock the full potential of that. Um, could be, you know, quite a dynamic duo for any team that tries to play with them. Uh, and who knows, right? Again, of course, he's a European native, so maybe a pro contract back home. Uh, we'll see, or does he come back? Who knows, right? So yeah. there's potential. Have to take a look, of course, for the SCSU lineup card for next season. Uh, we know for sure they're losing a goaltender, three defensemen, and four forwards. Could be five forwards and four defensemen um, mm-hmm. total, along, of course, with that goaltender. So potentially 10 players that the Huskies will lose. At minimum, they'll lose eight, um, as far as I can tell. So if my math is wrong, I apologize, but that's that's where I what I came up with as of today um, for sure. Incoming freshmen, there's three based on eligibility wise and age that they're on their way. Um, Isaac Posh would not surprise. He's had a great bounce back here. Six, three, two Oh nine. Of course he just turned 21. He's been playing in the wilderness in the null and I continually have looked at the goaltending statistics based on our own, you know, looks with the Toros and things like that. And his name always popping up a fourth in the league in save percentage with a nine twenty five. Uh, you know, 22 wins on the season, a two seventeen GAA 39 games and has three shutouts as well to his credit. Um, you know, there were question marks when he was in Sioux Falls on a Sioux Falls team that was very bad uh, mm-hmm. last season. I definitely think, uh, he's a guy that definitely at least comes over and the Huskies give him a look and see kind of where he fits into that system. I don't really have an anticipation as to where he fits as the number two goalie or the number three goalie at this point. I, it's way too early to tell, but I certainly think that he's on his way and the Huskies are going to give him a look unless there's something in the transfer portal that pops up for St. Cloud. Otherwise, what are your thoughts? Uh, it's going to be a battle for number two, right? Uh, between him and James Gray. Um, Dominic Bassey, I think, at least on paper, uh, assumes the number one position. But we saw this uh, this past year was Brett Larson was rotating, right? Until essentially the very end of the season. Um, so uh, at the end of it, three goaltenders battling. Who knows? Maybe Isaac Posh comes in and steals the spotlight again. James Gray, who's been practicing with the team as a red shirt um, this year, you know, how does he fare um, in that goaltending battle? We'll definitely have to take a look at it come fall. But uh, knowing Brett Larson, it's a wide open thing. And, you know, you kind of wonder if he will do that one, two tandem like he did this last year. Or is there somebody that comes in and solidifies the number one spot? I don't know. Uh, tough to say. You like the rebound, though, from Isaac Posh. Again, a really tumultuous year last year in the USHL, really rebounded himself in the null and uh, kind of proving that. You know, as we say all the time in hockey, that old cliche that goaltending statistics aren't always indicative of just the goaltender. Sometimes they're yep. indicative of the play, uh, the team that's in front of them. Um, kind of vindicating this case here that over the past, you know, six, seven months. 
Well said, well said. Uh, Jack Raymond, uh, 20 years old, six foot zero, 192, the Ham Lake, Minnesota native. Of course, uh, son of former St. Cloud State defenseman Dan uh, back in the mid-90s as well. Uh, this is his second year in the usual. Had 11 points in 24 contests in Des Moines. 15 overall. He kind of bounced around between three teams, but has really kind of found a home uh, in Des Moines. Uh, good two-way centerman. Um, really good in the face-off dot as well, too. So decent size to him. Uh, it seems to be mature on both sides of the game. Who would have thought, uh, especially with the departure of a guy like Aiden Spellacy, uh, yeah, could we use a two-way center in the bottom six? That's a big body. Um, uh, yeah, and that can win face-offs, right? Yeah. Uh, again, you know, going over just some things. I was doing even today at a coffee shop for four hours, right? I, I watched a lot of, you know, that Will Hammer, Jared Cockrell um, line down there uh, and the fourth and just, you know, what that line can do and what that bottom six really means as far as your essentially postseason success and, you know, not to say that Spellacy, you know, was, you know, not up to that, but that was a special fourth line. If you can a guy that can win your faceoffs and, and just, shall we say, possess the puck uh, and, you know, wear the other team down, you know, if you can have that in your bottom six, um, wow, does that unlock so many opportunities for your top six? Holy cow. Yeah, absolutely. Also, if we're butchering any names in this list, I apologize because that's what we do on this show because we're we're doing our best, but names are hard. Yep. Uh, I Caleb, I Caleb Tyson, Tyson, Tyson. I think it's Tyson. Uh, Twenty years old as well. Six foot five, two oh nine. Um, so he's not that big. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wouldn't want to meet him in an alleyway if he's ticked off. That's for sure. Uh, playing with Maryland in the NHL, 20 points and a plus 22 in 50 games from the back end. Of course, Maryland, not in the strongest conference or division in the NAL, but still good numbers, um, big body. And it's his last season of eligibility. I'm going to imagine based on size alone, having a division one build and being offensively productive in his division, he's going to at least get a look through camp. Uh, and the fact oh, that he's sure. aged, the fact that he's aged out, they're good. They're going to take a look at him for sure. So those are our three guys that um, are, Pretty much, I would say, our definitive, yep, they're going to at least get a look. They're coming in. We're going to take a look. One goaltender, one forward, one defenseman. So I categorize the players uh, kind of in this list into the maybe tier and the not this year tier. So for guys that you know maybe need an extra year or maybe just aren't quite going to get a look, but that doesn't mean that these guys that are in either list the way that we've tiered them won't get a look or will get a look either way. It's just kind of our personal uh, thoughts and kind of grouping these together. In fact, they're actually – I've tiered them – into my own list. Nick may even disagree with my list a little bit. So we're going to talk through that right now. Um, so, so to clarify for the fans, these are merely opinions. They're not like information yes. that we know. Yeah, Ab absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. The, the top three that we just mentioned, um, not only with production, but also eligibility, they've aged yep. out. So the likelihood of them coming um, is pretty likely. Uh, in the maybe category, um, Werner Mietnin, uh playing for the force this season, 5'11", 165. He's only 19. Of course, Vietti Mietnin's younger brother. No surprise there. 30 points for the force this season who are having a whale of a year. Uh, yes, I, they are. I work with the head ice guy down at Shields Arena and actually skate with uh, a kid who actually just signed with Miami of Ohio, Brayson Bozer, one of the defensemen on that team, and he came back and skated with us again over Christmas. Um, and the thing that he said about Werner, of course, who's kind of a natural playmaker, said he's a quiet kid but the way he plays certainly makes a big impact and a lot of noise in terms of uh his ability to just create plays he's like he's one of these guys that can stick handle in a phone booth and just find guys by threading the needle i mean he just creates 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 and finds his line mates um and last time i checked nick 
Um, and I don't think you'd put them together just because of the lineup card. But theoretically, let's talk about maybe a power play for a second. Last time I checked, his brother really likes to shoot the puck. Mm-hmm. So wouldn't it be kind of nice if his brother had someone to pass the puck to him? Well, and, you know, I know that you said this is in the maybe category. All the information, all the conversation I've had would suggest it's more likely than yeah, not that he agreed. does come to St. Cloud. Uh, part of VD's decision also to return is the opportunity to play with his brother. Um, so it wouldn't shock me if that's the case. Now, granted, when you have two brothers, uh, both have a unique and different skill set, right? Which is important. Um, if you can get those guys in, in chemistry, right? Uh, holy cow, right? And, you know, let's talk about this, right? Okabe, Cranilla, and Matten, and it was the international exchange line, right? Um, how about, and, and, you know, I say that as a, you know, it's a good thing, but, you know, for VD, for, for how he plays the game, right? I think he's a guy that, you know, if you can get somebody that can stick out a little phone booth, like you said, can win those board battles and find me at an open space. He's an open space type player. Um, that's maxing out what VD can do as far as his skill set. Werner gets to do what he can do and distribute the puck. So then you're just looking for hmm, a buzzsaw here to kind of help create too, right? Yeah. So um, now does Okabe stay? Does he go? We'll see. Uh, but that could mean uh, some pretty good potential, not only about even strength, but maybe even the power play, right? Uh, we'll have to see. But um, I-, I would think that that's what the Huskies will be looking at. And I would not be shocked to see Werner be and sign his NLI here for next season because of that uh, potential to play with him one, if not two more years. Because um, again, Vidi has that COVID he could elect if he chooses to do so. So maybe one or two years for both of those yeah i definitely think like you mentioned on this maybe list he's one of the guys that really we even heard noise last season that he might make the jump and i uh, just kind of need an extra year so i like i like i said i and you mentioned as well i definitely probably one of the more potential locks out of this group that we've talked yep. about uh let's stick with the force here for now on the back end leo gruba 62205 a big body at 19 years of age the minnesota native 20 points a plus 19 don't forget this fargo team is very good and had a very good second half of the season under nick oliver former st claus state assistant i can't imagine he's going to end up in fargo for very long i'd say maybe one more season and he might get a look at the next level if yep. he continues to bring the success and everybody that i've talked to uh that i know around the force and around the fargo area they've had nothing but great things to say and they talked about interestingly enough how good his fitness is like when he's bag skating guys he's jumping in in the line rushes too and we've remember that yep. conversation where ollie and of course dave shyak would kind of play some pond hockey with some of the st claus state players after practices too these college hockey guys of course dave shyak former national champion northern michigan 1991 they they're hockey guys through and through and they continue to keep their bodies in great shape and nick oliver of course a fourth round draft pick of the predators uh back in the mid 2000s um yeah they I just heard that he's a great players coach through and through, and I've not heard a single bad thing about him. Uh, so, but let's stick with the force. Like we mentioned, Leo Gruba that we've talked about big creative, a good skater for a defenseman, a guy who creates a lot from the back end. Of course, the son of former St. Cloud state forward, Tony Gruba, who played in the early nineties and did pretty well for himself after getting out of the competitive game as well, too. Um, yeah. I like the size and the fact that it's not often you hear about, defensemen who are these big rangy defensemen as smooth skater good creative player a guy who is creating opportunities i think you got to be licking your chops if you're saint club and if you're leo gruber too depending on what you see there's there's an opening in there right yeah. so you know i think you know this offseason has some more intrigue just because we talked last year right and how the entire defensive core seemed to be what intact uh seemed to be 
you know, shall we say not a lot of room there. Whereas this year, a little bit different, right? Depending on how it all shakes out. And if, if there's one thing we talk about Anhorn, one thing that St. Cloud has had uh, in years past, like a Jack Sean, a Jimmy Schultz, uh, guys who can create offense from the blue line and be sort of that fourth forward at times if needed and really kind of spark offense. Nick Perbix, again, another one. Um, what or an opportunity. How, yeah, or how about the fact, what if Andre Treball leads, leaves and what if his replacement looks like him but is about 20 pounds bigger and a couple inches taller? That's not too shabby. No, not at all. And again, you know, we, we talk about, you know, say like a guy like Brendan Bushy, you know, a guy that more defensively sound and, and maybe not the most fleet of foot. You put a guy in the lineup that's got the size who can skate and then also be able to create um, – I know that Jack Peart and uh, Josh Lidke had been a pair, but maybe some of these guys coming in and press, you can split those two up. Now you got a really solid top four uh, in your lineup for St. Cloud. I think there's a pretty decent chance if you're Leo Gruba again with the force, good season, that if you're looking at what's available, I think it's enticing to make a jump. It's still 50-50 in my book. Um, obviously, conversation is happening behind the mm-hmm. scenes, but um, if you're him, why not, right? There's opportunities there. And if you're confident in your game, uh, maybe you're able to battle out and get a spot, in a, a spot in the starting lineup. Yeah, a lot less defensemen on this list, too. At St. Cloud's defensive core, with or without the return of Anhorn, is definitely going to get younger this season. There's no mm-hmm. doubt about that. But unlike North Dakota, we actually have people who want to stay. Um, yeah, holy cow. With that being <laughs> said, uh, this next kid on this list is absolutely gross. Uh, this is Tyson Gross, uh, 20 oh, years oh. of age, six foot three, 181, a Calgary, Alberta native on the forward side. Uh, second year with Cedar Rapids in the usual 36 points and 45 contests. He's usually a centerman, but he can kind of play all over uh, on the forward side of things. Had a pretty significant injury about a year ago, but might get a look as well. Uh, decent productivity in six foot three. That's pretty decent for a guy who could be rangy, maybe in the bottom six to start. Um, I like that pick. A couple of other forwards here. Gavin uh, Thorson, of course, the Andover native, uh, only Yikes. 18 years of age, five foot eight, 183, a pretty stocky kid for that age, to be honest with you. Uh, mm-hmm. 20 points in 14 usual games with Waterloo and two separate stints for them. 97 points in just over 30 games for Andover in the double A side this year. Top 10 Mr. Hockey finalist, third place, of course, at state. He's a bit young, so I could see it going either way. But if St. Cloud feels like they could have a good forward infusion from him out of the gate, he's not exactly small for a guy who's not that tall. If he can handle the physicality, which it seems like in Waterloo, he's shown it. St. Cloud might take a chance on him, but they might let him kind of kind of percolate a little bit for an extra year uh, in the usual. What do you think? I, I think he needs one more year in the yeah. in the USHL. Um, now, granted, we could be completely wrong. Um, the coaches may see that, you know, especially after dominating, uh, you know, the state high school hockey tournament. I mean, skills fully on display, the shot, the creativity, the speed at which he plays the game. You know, I, I think it comes down to, you know, like you said, he's stocky, right? Sometimes that, you know, when you see players at that age, right, sometimes the skill set's there, but, you know, maybe lack a little bit of that build, right? So maybe they're five eight five nine, but maybe they're a buck fifty. Bucks 60, and they say, you know what, it's not about your game, but you got to, you know, kind of grow into your your um, your shell a little bit, per se. Um, he's at 183, so he's got some size, he's got some, you know, build to him. So, uh, it's this one's kind of an interesting pick, right? You know, because, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's almost for him, you know, how does how is he doing random in the U shell, right? Is he dominating? Is he reading the game right with the speed? Is he ready to make that jump, or does he need another year of seasoning? I think that's more of the conversation with Thorson, who again started the year in the U shell 
went back to Andover and then back to the UCL. So he's got some experience there. Um, but question is, I know with St. Cloud, sometimes they don't like to rush their players. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's an intriguing pick because could he be with the lineup? Sure. Um, or do they feel like, you know, maybe one more year to, just to get some experience and continue to build his profile, which looks to be quite the dangerous um, skill set here with Gavin Thorson. Yeah, no secret. The offensive side is ticking even at the USHL level. The question is, is he a good 200-foot player? And I think maybe if you're St. Cloud, like you said, only 14 games, maybe you just want to see a full-season sample size. If he mimics that production, I think we have an idea of where he might be after next season. The Mm -hmm. other intriguing pick here, too, of course, in your neck of the woods, an Apple Valley native, Barrett Hall, uh, 19 years of age, 6'1", 170, not bad size, either sixth-rounder for Seattle, 40 points in 48 games this season, has one year left. Uh, at the USHL level, I could see this uh, this player making the jump, to be honest with you too, Nick, just showing that production. Kind of, I would say, if you want to compare our previous conversation with Thorson to Hall, Hall is maybe the next year's evolution of Gavin in terms of you've seen that full sample size. Now you're willing to bring him in and give him a look. I think he might be a guy on the forward side that St. Cloud gives a lot of time to. I think so too. Uh, again, the maybe maybe the one act six one only one seventy, so maybe some room to to build off of there. Maybe that's the one. I don't want to call it a concern, but maybe one check mark that they really look at. Uh, but even with that, you know, granted. And maybe don't talk about this enough. No, the the junior hockey levels, both at the null and these are their their physical brands of hockey, right? So it's it's not like it's the worst thing in the world. But you know, shall we say the pounds and the, the forces get a lot more at the division one level. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, you know, depending on your skill set, you know, look at VD Miatna, right? He's not the shall we say the 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 thickest tree that's out there. Uh, but at the end of the day, sometimes your skill set allows you to uh, sort of you know overcome those. I don't want to call them deficiencies, but maybe. Uh, shall we say lacks um, uh, in, in the player's uh, skill set. So I don't know. Um, the, obviously, the domination is there. Again, 40 points or 48 games. That's not uh, anything to, to scoff yeah. at. But see what, uh, you know, all, again, overall game, you know, what does he fit? Uh, again, there's eligibility left. Um, so we'll see how he plays out. But uh, that's another intriguing pick here on this maybe list. Yeah, I move now over to the not this year list. And there's a couple guys that maybe are kind of on the fringe of even this list. Two guys I wanted to point out here. The Slovakian native, Lubomir Kupko, uh, second season in Des Moines for him. 29 points in 43 games. A pretty smooth skating, but yet gritty forward. 5'11", mm-hmm. 179. He's got a year left at 20 years of age. And then the youngster, Austin Bernovic, 18 years of age, 6'3", 190. Another yep. Ham Lake product, uh, U.S. National Development Program, 36 points in 63 contests they played a couple of ushl teams this season of course a former totino grace uh product one to two years left of eligibility at the junior level um his size alone and the fact that he's a u.s national development team player certainly puts him in the pipeline if not this year maybe maybe next uh both of these guys maybe still kind of on the cusp yeah, I would say so. Uh, I would think Bernovic more so than Cup uh, than Cupco, uh, because again, the U.S. National uh, Development Program. Um, when he gets the space, he can rip the puck, right? And um, holy cow, right? Still years of eligibility left. I, I know that you know, we talk about this a lot, but again, the defensive side of the game, right? How does he fare with that? He's been uh, like a second, third. I've seen him on the first line with the National Development Program here and there. So uh, it shows you that they're still maybe trying to figure out, you know, what he is. So maybe some consistency issues with this game. So um, let's just say that's another another year in the U shell. Not a bad yeah. thing, uh, because again, you've got to be the best 
player that you can be when you enter the division one level. That's on all three areas of the ice, neutral zone, offensive and defensive. Um, certainly with his size and his shot, which has been lauded for some time, a big reason why St. Cloud went out and uh, picked his brain, I think just a couple of years ago. Uh, but how does he round out? Right. I think that's the biggest question for Bernabek. There's no question that uh, when he's ready, he's going to be a welcome addition to St. Cloud because certainly he can bring it on the offensive side. Yeah, on the defensive side, another player that is kind of on the cost too. Uh, the question marks, of course, is the league that he plays in. In the MJ Steinbach Pistons, of course, Warren Clark, he's only 18 6, 5, 185, um, yeah. 40 points in 58 games. Again, the, the point spread is a little bit different up there, but on the defensive side, that's not bad. He's a right handed shot, two seasons left. They might give him another year to kind of uh, take a look, but he certainly is someone that might be an intriguing, you know, somebody to maybe kind of get that process started early. Of course, my former teammate Luke Amsbaugh played in Steinbach as well as Cody Longy, who played in the USHL. And now Luke's younger brother Ian is on that team in Steinbach, and that Pistons team has been rolling as of lately. So they've had a good club this season. Uh, and yeah, Warren, of course, has been a big name that's popped out of that group. So I could see him maybe as kind of being a dark horse, someone to take a look. I think just with the age, you maybe want to see him continue to kind of grow. Um, I was almost going to say fill out, but then I realized 6'5", 185 is not a bad. <laughs> no, but if you think about it, 185 isn't the most filled out for someone that's 6'5", either. Yeah. Um, and again, at 18, you know, there's no rush. I think that's the big thing, right, is, you know, when you got guys that are this young, um, you know, and... I know that sometimes here in Minnesota, we compare ourselves to guys who are at Minnesota, right? Like a Logan Cooley or a Jimmy Stuggerud, right? Um, where there really isn't a question on what they can bring on the ice, where some mm -hmm. of these guys, you know, they're going to be division one players, but the question is what's the best for their development and how can you get the best portion of their game at the right time so that they're ready to be the best player at the division one level. And for some of these guys like Warren Clark, it, it takes some seasoning, right? You know, it's very rare. I think now, especially for St. Cloud to bring in a true freshman, um, Oh, geez. Jack Peart was the last one they've done. Right. And uh, let's just say that he's taken some strides this year. But I think, you know, depending on who comes in and who he's paired with, uh, he's primed to take a bigger step after what we saw over the last couple of weeks, especially putting St. Cloud on his back at times if he is able to continue to maybe tap some confidence in his skating. But um, certainly intriguing. Like you said, six, five. Uh, you got to love the size um, and uh, kind of go from there. Nick, random trivia question for you. Who is the last Steinbach Piston to play for St. Cloud State? I shouldn't know this. Oh, geez. Actually, Kate was our first pair of player guests on the show. Uh, defenseman Tyler Anderson. Uh, oh. Yeah, that's a name as a throwback. I wonder how he's doing as of lately in the medical world, by the way. Yeah. Um, haven't heard much from him, but boy, what an absolute beauty he was. Uh, three other names on this list here, of course, an international play, the Latvia and Martins Lavins uh, with the Rough yep. Riders in Cedar Rapids as well. 19 points in 41 games this season. He's got a year left. I think he just needs one more year to continue to kind of build that offensive production. Uh, Jonah Egerter, 19 years old. He's only 5'9", 178. He's a Wisconsin native. Uh, 21 points in 50 games this season in Madison. Um, would love to hear what Drew uh, Steele has to say about him. He has a year left, and then Thor Bufflin at 19 years of age, of course, the Roseville, Minnesota native, uh, yep. 5'11", 165, eight points in 53 games with Chicago in the USHL. Very good player, smart hockey IQ, just has a year left and kind of needs to get a bit bigger and stronger, I think, yep. it's kind of been the talk. But those three players, certainly not out of the mix here. 
No, Agater, again, also spent time with a development program with the U.S. Uh, Thor Bluff, and remember watching him actually call the game with Rozo and St. Cloud with him, and the hockey IQ was there. The offensive instincts, he walks the blue line really well, and I think you said it perfectly, just not quite filled up to be ready for Division One hockey yet. Um, and again, you can see with the point total, right? He was dominant uh, at War Road with a big point total. Again, a bit of a, shall we say, culture shock, you know, with first-year junior. So um, I don't expect him to be in the lineup next year. Um, if he continues to grow and put things together and again, grow a little bit this way too, um, he could be quite the addition to the blue line, but he's not, I don't think uh, he's ready quite as of yet. We've never seen a Bufflin that's filled out quite nicely before. Have we? Oh, geez. Here we go. <laughs> then of course, as we mentioned, Martin's Labins committed, uh, during one of the international tournaments from Latvia to St. Cloud state as well too. Captain so too. Yeah. A very interesting pick had a very good international, uh, I play a run, so to speak, for a Latvian team that wasn't exactly the greatest, obviously. So uh, keep an eye on that. Is there anything else you wanted to add for St. Cloud State as we... No, I mean, I, I think, again, you know, where there's more clarity that will come with time, right? These yeah. are very early predictions. Um, I, and again, I, and I think what fans need to know is that these, these are individual conversations that each player is having, not only, you know, with their current coaches, with St. Cloud's coaches. You know, there's a lot of people that are involved in these decisions. And sometimes, you know, the player thinks he's ready. And maybe from the eyes of different coaches, they say, no, uh, you know, you've got this and this to your game, but I think you really need to work on this, which take another year let's be patient um but we'll we'll see right there's a lot of questions there um we're likely going to be wrong one way or the other uh but still um i think you have to be happy with the talent pool that is in the weights for st cloud not only for this year but also uh even for next year right there's a lot of upside here uh, both offense and defense and again we talked about the goaltending situation um, there's a lot to be proud of here. And for those who well, were wondering uh, why Brett Larson's name was part uh, of a short list to go to Wisconsin, <laughs> this is why, right? And I think what was St. Cloud 40th uh, in Division Funding. One hockey spending yeah. um, out of 62, right? And granted, look at what that team was with Dylan Hunter. They were number one in the country. Um, I'm not sure I'll also say this, but that's pretty much indicative on your coaching staff and the head coach of making the most out of what you got. Uh, so deservedly so, uh, Huskies, be uh, keep be positive. There's a lot of good things yet to come. Yeah, and I got to keep my hair. So I mean, you know, all, all things considered. Yeah, well. <laughs> not that it looks that great, but uh, thanks, Brad. Of course, like I said, we reached out to him. We'll have him on the, in the coming weeks, obviously. Um, like I said, I texted him a couple days ago, and my guess is he probably took about three days off, maybe last week off, and he's probably back at it already, talking to potentially some of these players, obviously. So uh, there's there's definitely uh, no rest for sure for these uh, uh, these guys at the um, coaching level and then of course at the next level to try to get players to move uh, on to division one hockey of course uh, speaking of the d1 level let's move over to ncaa player moves on both the men's and the women's side here of course last week we recapped the start of this list specifically a lot on the men's side here our updates for this week let's start there in the national hockey league a couple of mankato players andre pavel to colorado and akito hiroshi to vancouver both as free agents uh, of course andre pavel former toro as well scored probably the biggest goal in franchise history a couple of years ago in overtime in the playoffs um, yeah, both of these players and both of these teams getting some really good picks. I really hate seeing Pavel go to Colorado. They don't need any mm -hmm. more help at that particular point. And Akito Hiroshi, um, Vancouver, sneaky yeah. little pickup for them. Yes, it was. Um, 
interesting too with Vancouver and you know their cap situation too. I know they're and they've actually been playing well as of late, almost kind of ruining their own tank. But that's Vancouver <laughs> hockey to uh, to a degree is yeah. that team is essentially an, an identity crisis all the time, and they can't decide whether they're buyers or sellers. They go opposite <laughs> what everybody else should go. But you know, good for him getting a um, an opportunity to play pro hockey and uh, you know Vancouver. You know, you've got some defensemen you can kind of model your game off of. Like uh, I know a Luke Hughes guy uh, is one of them. So yeah, yeah, no kidding. And then uh, yeah, Jack as well. Uh, Carter Mazer, of course, heading to Detroit. Um, he's going to have a good career there, I would imagine. Uh, mm-hmm. Denver pioneer that uh, certainly can release the puck for sure. Uh, Jacob Dobes to Montreal as a free agent from Ohio State. Trevor Hunter uh, to Boston from BC, and then Matt Vernon of CC headed to the ECHL as well on the NHL side of things. Um, as far as NCHC moves, uh, guys that. Um, kind of made their moves already. Cam Berg, as we mentioned from Omaha, uh, the sophomore was in the portal. He's going to North Dakota, pretty much a hometown kid or pretty close um, yep. for him jumping in that. Nick, I can't tell you how much I hate the transfer portal this week. This next one hurts. <laughs> oh my gosh, man. I saw this on the list and I, someone had tweeted that he was on campus. Ladies and germs, goaltender Ludwig Pearson headed to North Dakota from Miami. Uh, a junior, of course, 32 games played, a 3-6-7 and an 8-9-1. Uh, for him last season. Oh man. <laughs> Seriously. Here's here's what's weird about this though is that <laughs> that entire defensive core is going to be brand speaking new. Yeah. Uh, literally. So um really I it's it's gonna be interesting how North yeah. Dakota plays defensively this year because we we've seen you know Pearson put the team on his back in Miami the past couple of seasons, right? Um he was what the rookie of rookie goaltender of the year back in his freshman year, deservedly so. He's a big goaltender, stops pucks, does not give away uh, juicy rebounds very often. Um, but you do kind of wonder with what is going to be in front of them. There's no question there's going to be offensive support that we know. But, you know, what about the defensemen? They're going to be right in front of him trying to clear lanes, give him clean looks at the puck coming from all directions, and then also clearing out rebounds if and when there are lane in front of them. So um, I, I know this hurts, but I'm very – I still am not sold on this for, yeah. for either side. I, I'm just I not. think, I think it just hurts more because Miami, you know, yeah. that was kind of their backbone and, you know, seeing, we'll talk about Miami a little bit more in a few seconds, but it just kind of hurts them. Just that they've just are really the NCH equivalent right now of, you know, the monster truck that's spinning its tires. Could it, cause it's stuck in the mud flats kind of thing. You know what I mean? They just, they yeah. can't get any traction right now in that program, unfortunately. So, um, of course, North Dakota also picking up defenseman Garrett Pike from Alaska in Fairbanks. Uh, senior, of course, 34 games played, had 19 points last year. Not too shabby. Uh, so a good pickup for North Dakota there. In Duluth, Luke Milmock is headed to Niagara. He's going to join his brother coming from Fairbanks uh, on that team. Defenseman Spencer Cox leaving Miami for Long Island University. A sophomore had 13 points on the back end for him this season. Alex Murray on the back end as well, leaving Miami to go to Niagara along with Luke Milmock in Duluth had three points in 19 games this year, but the Red Hawks did get defenseman Ryan Sullivan from UMass uh, junior at 32 games played had three points last season. So um, let's check out the portal here for the NCHC teams. We'll go in alphabetical order here. Once again, Brad Schlossman said, well, thank you so much for putting these lists together that we go off of. Of course, Colorado College, the body that we had talked about was uh, the senior defenseman, Connor Mayer, who entered the portal and then actually came back um, because Mm -hmm. they didn't anticipate so many people actually 
looking the other direction. As we mentioned, Matt Vernon on his way out. Noah Prokop already moving on uh, to his new team in St. Thomas, as did Matthew Gleason moving yes. to St. Thomas. Um, of course, scored a very big goal in the NCHC quarterfinals in that second game against Western Michigan. Matt Vernon in the ECHL, like we mentioned. Other three in there, Cade Arnholz, Brett Shorsky, and Nate Schweitzer all in. Uh, of course, Arnholz, 14 games played as a freshman, no points. Uh, Chorsky, only three points in 19 games as a sophomore. And Nate Schweitzer, a single point in 11 contests in the back end in his sophomore season. Um, any of these names surprise you a little bit? or is it Gleason, more th- I th- Gleason yeah. was a big one for me. Uh, or, or is it more the volume, too? Like I think a little bit of both, too. But, yeah. you know, at the end of it, it's not uh, – it's becoming – I don't see a trend, but when you have head coaches, whether it's Chris Mayotte and whether it's Brian Idolsky, right? There's going to be good players um, that just for whatever reason, right? It's it's not a fit, or maybe they just feel like the system isn't right for them. You know, they have their own reasons. But Gleason, again, former Creighton Durham Hall, uh, you know, uh, high school prospect, uh, call the game with Geno Parrish at the uh, high school All American, the top prospects game, right? He can really uh, add offense. Uh, going back to St. Thomas, so close to home, uh, familiar colors too, if I if I get that right. Uh, but that one surprised me a bit because again, Chris Mayout, what a job he's done. He's speaking of beauty of coaches, holy cow! But you know, it, it is a bit surprising when you look at that. But you know, as we said, also with Colorado College, they've got a pretty nice recruiting class coming in. And you kind of yeah. wonder, too, if, you know, there were some conversations about where they were going to fit the lineups, their roles. Does that change? It's all stuff that we have no idea. But obviously with these players and these organizations, you know, they all have their reasons one way or the other. And Gleason decides that he will be closer to home, coming back home to St. Paul and uh, try to finish out his career with Rico Blasi and the Tommies. Yeah. Uh, on the other side of the state, Denver, nobody added or subtracted at this particular point. Uh, it seems like David Carl uh, likes to hang on to players. I like it. It's it's more people going to him than leaving yeah. him, really. And if they are leaving David Carl, they're signing a pro contract is really how it works. Yeah. In Miami, of course, we mentioned Spencer Cox and Ryan Sullivan added uh, from the transfer portal. In fact, apologies, Spencer Cox uh, was the opposite direction. He's coming from Long Island to Miami. I Apologies on that one. 13 points for him last season. So a good pickup for Miami. Uh, of course, in the transfer portal, Joe Cassetti, Alex Murray, Chase Pletsky, Red Savage, as we talked about, went to Michigan State. Michael Holland, Ludwig Pearson, we just mentioned. Brian Silver and Nick Donato out of those guys. Uh, only Alex Murray, Red Savage, Ludwig Pearson have found new homes. Uh, Joe Cassetti, this is uh, his second transfer, played at Merrimack uh, mm-hmm. the season prior. So uh Miami going to have some fluctuation again this offseason. Duluth only losing Isaac Howard, as we talked about, to Michigan State last week. Luke Milmock as well. Nobody coming back in for the Bulldogs so far. Omaha losing Camberg to North Dakota. And then uh, Davis Pennington, the defenseman, a sophomore, 36 games, 16 points for him last season. He's headed to Quinnipiac uh, mm-hmm. this year. That kind of hurts. Uh, If you're a Mavs fan, just a little bit, um, I would say. Uh, North Dakota, as we mentioned, Pike, um, Ludwig Pearson, Cam Berg all coming in. Uh, Brent Johnson, uh, Jacob Helston, Matteo Constantini, who it's his second time moving in the portal, coming from Miami last year. Luke Bast, Nick Ports, and Cooper Moore all on their way out. Six, five, three, three, nine, and 13 points, respectively, among that group. Three of them draft picks in Washington, Buffalo, and Detroit, respectively. The overhaul in North Dakota is certainly happening, and I want to ask this question because obviously that's significant. 
But if this defensive core doesn't shine and the offensive group doesn't pick up, does Brad Berry have a job after next season, Nick? Uh, like, honest question. Uh, you know, I don't know if we're at that point yet, uh, but you, you start to wonder too, you know, with some of these moves where Brad Berry, I mean, he's what three time coach of the year for the NCHC, um, has had his serious success, but you almost wonder too with some of the volume and, and some of the names that are leaving, you know, and again, is it, it, it's hard to put a blanket on this, right? Because every player has their reasons, um, you know, for whatever that is. But I would think that if you're North Dakota, you are starting to look at, you know, is this a trend, right? Is this, you know, why is this happening? Um, I think this is, if you want my honest opinion, I think this is a unique situation for North Dakota. Um, let's go back a couple of years, Jake Sanderson, Tyler Clevin, um, you know, uh, Jordan Kawaguchi, right? That core was together for quite some time. So there wasn't a ton of turnover. Um, I don't know. You know, it's hard, it's hard to say, you know, Obviously, what happens behind closed doors, we're not privy to, but you do kind of wonder if you are, whether it's a fan or maybe even part of that front office, you know, you, I think there is a question mark there. Um, but again, as you said, winning kind of heals all, you know, and you do kind of wonder if maybe things really are bad. Does that part bear Brad Barry in a spot? I'm not sure we're going to be able to answer that just yet, but you do kind of wonder if they have a bit of a down year next year and shall we say more exit interviews are done. If there's a trend in that, you kind of wonder if North Dakota makes a change. For me, it would be hard. Uh, I've talked to Bradbury many times myself too. He's a nice guy. He knows how to coach, Uh, but sometimes, you know, and I think Bruce Bourgeau has said this well, is that you're hired to get fired. Sometimes you just, shall we say the words that you say and the way you say them just get stale, right? It's no fault of the coach. Um, It just happens to be that you are in need of a change in that locker room. Again, like I said, something to follow, but not sure how we answer that just yet. Yeah, agree. Uh, St. Cloud State, of course, just Brandon Zemer on their way out. Nobody else in the mix right now. Western Michigan, Barrett Brooks, who we mentioned last week, a freshman. All three of the names on this list have not played in a game uh, for the Broncos. He's headed to Mercyhurst. Um, Will Hamley in net. He's a sophomore goaltender. And Theo Thrun, of course, a freshman last season, did not play on the forward side. So that is it for the NCHC side of things. On the women's side, of course, a little bit of movement here. Ohio State adding another senior defenseman, Steph Mark from Clarkson, 32 points in 42 games, because of course they needed more, right? Uh, St. Thomas uh, defenseman Rachel Goldnitz from Colgate, 32 games for her last season in a single point as well. As far as the portal here, let's run through that very quickly. A lot of movement from Bemidji State and Mankato once again. Uh, in addition to Reese Hunt and Claire Veckish for the Beavers, uh, Hannah Hoganson, Adriana Vandalist, uh, um, Ella Anik or Onik, excuse me, and Taylor yep. Larson, um, 12, 7, 3, 8, 7, and 0 points respectively, but a combined uh, average, I would say, of about 33 to 34 games played among all of those players. So Bemidji, a very big overhaul um, for them. Reese Hunt, of course, the leading scorer for the club, maybe thinking for some bigger and better options um, moving out of Bemidji. In Minnesota, Olivia King, the netminder, a senior, had two games last season. She's on her way in the transfer portal. No news from Duluth. Mankato, as we mentioned, Cala Frank and that Kelsey King, who would be a big pickup for the Huskies, I would say. Um, mm-hmm. Anna Wilgren, um, we already mentioned them. And Emerald Kelly, the junior netminder who did not play last season, enters that list. Um, Ohio State, yeah, good luck next season. Those in the yeah. The WCHA um, St. Cloud still with their seven on the list, two of which going to Robert Morris. That's Courtney Hall and Chase Sperling um, as well. Still Olivia Savar, Allison Green, Lauren Tuzik, Julia Bacchetti and Mackenzie Bergeret all in that list. And then St. Thomas, as I mentioned, adding Rachel Goldnitz and 
potentially losing Jenna Hartung uh, last season, and Wisconsin just Mason Toft is in the portal. Um, any team that you wanted to talk about on the women's side here? The women's side's a bit more cut and dry. I think Bemidji, the writing's kind of on the wall on Ohio State is definitely loading up. But I think if you're St. Cloud, you've got to look at Mankato's Kelsey King and you've got to move over and look at Reese Hunt from Bemidji State. Those are two names that I would be targeting pretty heavily. I think, you know, the only team we'll talk about is St. Cloud, right? You've got seven players in the portal. There's a lot of good talent that's in the portal that you can take advantage of. And on the men's side, right, I, we know that Brett Larson has utilized the transfer portal to add key additions and make them, shall I say, fit right in. You kind of wonder if Idolski um, was just the way this team had rebounded and has, you know, again, coach of the year. You kind of wonder, too, if that's an attractive piece for some of these players that are in the transfer portal. I would think it would be. Uh, and then if you're Idolski, right, could you convince maybe some of these players that, hey, yeah, we have some turnover, um, you know, whether it's for fit or other reasons, but now you have, have an opportunity to come in. You know, if you play in my system my way, look how we did last year. Um, I think we're a team that's ready to make a big jump, and you could be a part of that. I think there's a lot to like there, but if you're saying Cloud, I think transfer probably be looking at quite heavily because again, if I remember correctly, the recruiting class is not terribly big, at least as far as commitments are going. Uh, mind you, Laura Zimmerman too, who were redshirted last year, who played for Team Switzerland, didn't play a game, so she slotted to come in and kind of be carrying that offense. So I like to say St. Cloud dip into that and see if they can't pull a couple players because a lot of that's available and a lot of good ones too. Obviously, we're going to have to keep an eye on that, Nick. Um, we're going to move over to the Hobie Baker and Richter side of things here. And uh, certainly a little bit of intrigue going on, because why not? Mm -hmm. College hockey has never offered that before, right? No. Um, of course, uh, let's start with the Hobie Baker finalist. Uh, Matthew Nyes and Logan Cooley from Minnesota. Adam Fantilli from Michigan, of course. Um, the winner will be announced on Friday, April 7th. Um, I believe the Richter is announced the same day as well. Usually, yeah. Um, I, if I remember correctly, which is questionable at this point. Point in time of course Fantilli no surprise he's on this list uh 64 points for him but head and shoulders above pretty much anybody else in the country 35 goals 20 um excuse me 29 goals in 35 games and 35 assists for him a 1.83 points per game average right ahead of the next guy Logan Cooley 37 games for him 57 points 37 assists and 20 goals for him and then all the way down on this list as uh as I can find Matthew Nye is tied for 18th in the country as a sophomore had 41 points in 38 games, 21 goals, 20 assists. In fact, uh, only one more point than our own Yami Kranola for St. Cloud state. Two of these guys, Fantilli and Cooley um, based on not only statistical analysis, but what they've brought to their respective teams, no secret they should be in here. Are we safe to agree with that to start with? I mean, are both of those yeah. guys? Yeah. So I think the question becomes, as it has been for a lot of people in the country, why Matthew Nyes? Why the sophomore from Minnesota? A lot of people talk about the plays that he makes away from the puck, especially for a young player, and that it's not always about points. Others counter and say, what about a guy like Ryan McAllister in Western Michigan? What about these guys out East that obviously have had really good seasons as well, too? What do we think of Matthew Nyes? And is there anybody in this list, as you look at the scoring leaders, that you feel like maybe had a better case than Matthew Nyes? Or is he the guy that the committee should have went with? You know, I don't know if we can answer that, really. Um, it's interesting because with the Hobie Baker Award, right, this year... It seems like in years past, there's been, shall we say, more, I don't want to say clear cut, but 
let's look at, shall we say, Adam Fatelli, right? And Logan and Logan Cooley. They're two freshmen. Um, yeah. You know, that doesn't happen very often. Uh, and then you have Matthew Nice, the sophomore, right? So not a single upperclassman in this list, right? Um, it, it's curious, right, Noah, because I know that a lot of people put up the argument of points and, and whatnot, but let's take, let's, let's break down what points are. Right. And that is, you know, are you, are you, are you, are you playing the game the right way? Are you putting yourself in the right areas to be, you know, on the offensive side of the puck and either score or make that assist. Right. Uh, defensively, how are you at? Right. So that's kind of what the case is with Matthew Nyes here is. Yeah. He doesn't jump off the page in terms of the stats, but you talk about his overall game really has evolved from being a guy like last year that was more like a Logan Cooley and a Jimmy Snuggerud, meaning like trying to put the team on his back, maybe make some one-on-one plays and, and try to beat you that way. He's really evolved to be a next-level player. And what I mean by that is he's utilizing the two-on-ones, making the right reads, uh, back-checking, right? Um, he's a guy that could jump into the Maple Leafs lineup and provide, shall we say, playoff you know, type minutes because he's ready for that. His size, Right, his ability to play like he does and use his size to shield the puck um, and to continue, uh, and to keep possession. Right, um, it's his IQ that I think jumps off the page. Um, so I think that's why Matthew Nyes is here right now. Could we debate for eons and eons about guys yeah. like Jared Poland? You talked about another guy from Western Michigan. Yeah, I've, um, I've got I've got two guys I like. Jason Poland, of course, is one of them that I was going to bring up as a senior. Forty-seven points for him, and really, him and Ryan McAllister had a great season for the Broncos. But really, it was Poland who carried that unit as they moved mm-hmm. into the second half of the season, and he was the guy who was the catalyst all year. The other one, and I. I don't even know if there's ever been three freshmen ever as the three finalists right. for the Hobie Baker Award. It, hard to ignore the season that Lane Hudson had for BU yeah, on the back no. end. I mean, that's 48 points for him I, and 15 goals to his credit on the back end in 38 games. Those are two guys that I think could make an argument. Um, the committee had their hands full this year. There's no doubt about it. They did. Um, and if anything that goes to show that for these types of awards, right? That it's, it's getting more complicated. It's getting harder. Right. And inherently that's a good thing, right? That means that the talent for college hockey is getting more and more pronounced. It's getting more higher end talent. And it's not like back in the day where it was, you know, not saying these were Hobie Baker winners. Right. But you know, your Phil Kessels, your, what do you call it? Your Thomas Vanex, right? That guys that just stole the show of the country. There was that one or two names and you kind of knew that it was going to be down to one or two. Now, You've got five, six, maybe sometimes seven names that pop up and say, geez, you know, and and I think what we should take away from this, Noah, if you're a college hockey fan is, I think you said it perfectly. You could have made a case for any one of these players to be on this list, how these individual voters decided to go these three particular We'll never really know, right? Um, you know, like I said, you could debate that Hudson should be there. You could debate that, you know, why is Fintilli there? Um, I just, you know, we just don't know those answers. But what it doesn't take away is the seasons that those players had, right? Uh, McAllister, Poland, Hudson, they all had fantastic years. And at the end of the day, all six of these players are NHL draft picks. They will eventually find their way to the next level. And at the end of it, you know, it just goes to show the college hockey continues to grow in its talent level. It's a high end talent level. And that is exciting to be a college hockey fan to know that this is more to come. And this is just a small sample size, especially when, again, the final three or two freshmen and one sophomore. 
Yeah, how about, uh, by the way, a freshman with nine more points than Matty Nye's on his own team, Jimmy Snuggerud, 50 points for yeah. him this season, uh, sitting fifth on that list. What a year he had. Well, we are down to three names, whether you like it or not. Um, you have one in mind that you think takes the cake this Friday? I know people have been going to Fantilli. Um, hard you argue it. Um, I know a lot of folks have also shared Matthew Nye's, and again, not because of the points, but because of his overall game. Uh, just seems to be in the most well-rounded. Now, does that fall in line for what the Hobie Baker actually is? I don't know, right? Um, hard to really say. Logan Cooley is a special offensive talent. Again, you know, I, I question whether his defensive side of the game is when fully developed, but you can't take away what that guy does with the puck or without the puck in the offensive zone. He is just incredible. He's a machine, right? He really is. Um, quick release, makes really good decisions. Um I don't really have an inkling, right? I could see this going to either one of those three. Um, I'm curious as to where you think or if you have an inkling on on which one of these three uh, takes the Hobie Baker this year. Yeah, I mean, obviously, he has a bit of a cocky attitude at times, but I think Adam Fantilli, I think just what he's brought to the table this season offensively, he just kind of has an extra gear on that Michigan team who, let's be honest, had kind of a rocky first half of the season and he kind of kept the ship going there. Minnesota was a bit more of a steady, uh, uh, you know, steamboat essentially uh, moving down the channel. So I think Fantilli, what he's done over the course of the season to kind of right the ship for Michigan and really keep them uh, in the hunt and potentially uh, winning a national championship in the next week. I really like him as a pick, not just because he's leading the country, but the way that he did it in terms of the fact that it, he just shows almost no fear in the way that he attacks the game and attacks with the puck. So um, I like him, but like you mentioned, I, it doesn't get any easier and easier. Um, I'm just glad there's not a goaltender in the mix this year because I think it, <laughs> I think it makes things a little bit easier. Um, well, let's move over to the Richter here really quick. Um, why don't we while we're uh, while we're on the topic? Um, Devin Levi, who of course got his first win um, in Buffalo in the National Hockey League level last night on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Congratulations to him. Uh, great. Um, and then Yaniv Peretz and Blake Pedela voted the final three for the Richter. Of course, coming from Northeastern Quinnipiac and Michigan Tech, respectively. Uh, you look at some of the goaltender um, statistics this season. Peretz kind of leads in a lot of categories as well. Devin Levi, um, that Northeastern Huskies team is going to really have a rude awakening uh, mm-hmm. next season without him. There's no doubt about it. Um, uh, actually, Jackson Caster in a lot of categories is a top five goaltender in a lot of these, as is Justin Close from Minnesota. So that gives you the gravity of the matchup that we saw along with Keenan Rancier and Mankato. So I'd say the Fargo Regional was fairly successful, all things considered. That's what I'm trying all to things. Yep. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm trying to go with here. But uh, if you sort by a couple of categories, obviously, save percentage, a 932 for Yaniv Peretz, obviously. Devin Levi, a 933 for him this season. Um, Pedala, a 924 for him, a 215 goals against Peretz. Peretz, of course, playing for Quinnipiac, maybe had a bit of the easier matchup, as did Devin Levi this season. This is hard, too. I, You know, just because I think that conference strength plays a lot into mm-hmm. some of the numbers that we're seeing here. Um, the CCHA was kind of a bloodbath this season. Um, Northeastern didn't have an easy ride. Quinnipiac had a couple of scares this season. There's no doubt about it. Is there any clarity at the end of the tunnel for these three either? You know, if I had to pick, it's Devin Levi. And here's why, Um, you know, Peretz, um, not to discount what he is as a goaltender, but Quinnipiac structurally plays really good in front of him. Not to say that that takes anything away with what he's done, but, you know, it certainly makes his job easier. I think Blake Pedela sort of, he didn't have the greatest 
finish to his season. Um, yeah. He certainly carried that team um, to the postseason. But, you know, sp- starting the CCHA quarterfinals, um, you got the sense that I think, you know, uh, teams are getting to him and they're getting to him early. And I think he showed a couple of things that might detract from some voters, which is he kind of got rattled a little bit, right? Sometimes as, as a Richter award, um, you know, you have to be able to recover and just kind of put some of those tough bounces behind you. Uh, Devin Levi, as far as Northeastern, you said it perfectly. Where would that team be without Devin Levi? Um, not even close to this conversation, right? So you talk about a goaltender that only is skilled, but also means the most to their squad. To me, it's Devin, Le- Devin Levi, hands down. Um, again, not to take it away from the other two goaltenders, but to me, uh, he's probably the most deserving of the Richter Award. Yeah, I certainly think so as well, too. Of course, uh, Pitala, a senior this year, I think had he been lights out in the playoffs and moving into the NCAAs, it might be a tough contest between those two. Um, mm-hmm. Peretz, I think, might be a pretty good shoe-in for next season should he end up staying with that group in Quinnipiac. I mean, he's only a sophomore, so um, mm-hmm. it might be his award to lose next season. Or who knows, Dominic Bassey could be in that mix too. That would be awesome uh, right. for the Huskies faithful. But I think Devin Levi, just his body of work, he was in the conversation last year as well too. Um, I, I agree with you on that particular front. Last topic in the main portion of the show, the Minnesota Wild here. Like we mentioned, as we move farther and farther out of college hockey, we'll get more and more into the Wild. So if it feels like we're neglecting them, it's because we are, um, because they've only got six games left uh, this season. Of course, they've got Vegas coming up on Monday in Pittsburgh on Thursday at home against St. Louis on Saturday. Um, So three games this week and then three next week on the road on Monday in Chicago against Winnipeg back at home on Tuesday. That's the last home game for the regular season. And then in Nashville to close out game number 82 on that Thursday. So the wild 44, 23 and nine at 97 points. I could use 99 to hundred points would get them in pretty safely. I believe Uh, Mm -hmm. of course, sitting at first in the central still uh, one point out of second and third with those teams chasing them seven points out of the first wildcard spot and 10 points out of the second wildcard team, which is Winnipeg right now. So um, no doubt about it. This Minnesota team is going to finish likely in the top three uh, for Mm -hmm. the central here. So what a turnaround it has been in the past couple of months course a five to one victory against seattle where the kraken looked like they had no business in that hockey game that was a part of my french a total ass kicking by the mm-hmm. wild that was very great uh colorado was probably the better team the other night um losing four to two though to the wild and then minnesota not the best showing against vegas yesterday on saturday a four to one loss for them but i mean that vegas team Group. Vegas is good defensively. They are a bit of a mess, and you kind of wonder the impacts of the Mason Shaw injury had throughout that lineup. It looked like they were uh, a little bit, you know, I don't know if shell shocked, but definitely felt that. Again, we know Mason Shaw's story and his um, his injuries, right? Three ACL tears. That's you. You hope yeah. that it's not a fourth. Um, but let's not also discredit uh, Minnesota. They pushed hard in the third. You know, a couple of really good chances there. Uh, I thought that they could have easily buried a couple and made that game much closer, but um, certainly not the best effort defensively in that game. Uh, but still, I think we're still solidly in it, uh, even when they were down 3-1 in the third, but definitely overall not the best, uh, shall we say, cumulative effort we've seen on them. Uh, but again, Vegas, number one team in the Western Conference. Uh, they're going to be a tough out. They play them yet again on Monday at home this time and look to rebound. And again, Noah, all this happening 
uh, without Kirill Kaprizov, whereas that was their only what their second yeah. regulation loss in the what twenty two games. So I believe pretty he's insane. Supposed, he's supposed to start skating this week, is from what is what the reports have kind of said. So hopefully, maybe he can come back for maybe that Winnipeg or Nashville game and just get some reps in. I, I'd like to I, see him. I don't think that'll be too soon, honestly. Yeah. Well, I I'd like to. You know, Chicago or Winnipeg, Chicago especially, um, would be a decent matchup to kind of see how he's sitting. You know, you've got St. Louis on Saturday, Chicago on Monday. That's a bit too early of a rush, but at the same time, uh, we don't know how he's been off ice, and it might only take him a couple of days to get back up to speed if they if he's been cleared physically. Um, right. Don't if really know. Yeah. Well, if it's a muscle strain, like we think it is, right, especially – uh, hamstring, uh, just based on the video, right? This is not any information that we have, but if that's indeed what it is, right? You know, first of all, you're resting it. When you hyperextend a muscle, you got to let things just sort of relax and heal. And then when you try as a pro athlete to get those muscles back up to what we call what game shape, um, that's a slow process. And the reason it's so slow, Noah, is I think you probably know this more than I do, but if you rush that even a tad bit too early, the muscle reacts and then retracts again, you're literally all back to step one in that recovery process. So, um, I know the wild, if, if it's for me, I get it. I know you want him back in lineup to get in game shape. I don't see Carrillo as the guy that needs all of that. Um, to me, it's about his health. He's got to be the best version of himself. If that means it's not till game one of the playoffs, maybe game two or game three, right? I'm just throwing it out that the wild have found ways to win without him, which has been the blessing of disguise. Matt Boldy, what a freaking tear he's been on, right? So yeah. they're okay. Um, I think at this point, let him heal, make sure he's 100%. He will slot in the lineup just fine when he's ready to do so. But the worst thing they can do is to put him in too early. And then you re-aggravate an injury if it is indeed what we think it is. And then you're losing him for potentially the remainder of the playoffs. So to me, take it low and slow, make sure he's good to go. And he'll be just fine when he's back. Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked to see him maybe for a game or two with shelter minutes, maybe on the third line, you know, as well, too. Mm -hmm. Not that he's a third line guy, but you might see him where they, you know, maybe they don't run him with, you know, a ton of special teams time. Or maybe that's what they want is to get him a lot of puck touches on special teams where things kind of slow and control a little bit potentially as well, too. So a lot of options with him, but the all indications say that he's supposed to be back on the ice this week. So hopefully we'll know more in the next couple of weeks. The Wild, of course, 6-2-2 two and two in their last 10 Six games left, like we mentioned, Colorado one point back, as is Dallas. Colorado has an extra game in hand. Um, Winnipeg ten points back as far as the Central Division foes. They occupy the second wildcard spot. The Wild were plus three in goal differential last week. Nick, um, we're going to move on from the Wild for this week. We'll circle back to them in the coming weeks, of course, and hopefully we're covering them for quite a while as we move into the spring and summer months. We head on to the extra ice session where we have college hockey for the last time this week. The Frozen Four is previewed at Amelie Arena in Tampa Bay. And welcome into the Extra Ice Session. Nick Max and Noah Grant, I imagine this Extra Ice Session might be a bit of a shorter one here. The Tampa Bay yeah. uh, Lightning play host, actually technically the Wisconsin Badgers and the Hastings regime now plays host uh, yep. to uh, the 2023 Men's Frozen Four preview. We'll probably talk about Wisconsin at some point in the near future too and some of the coaching moves as well too. I know that we didn't get to it this week. Um, Brett Larson is safe. That's all I heard and so is my hair. Um, but, but I, I, I'm guessing we'll circle back to that. Maybe when we hear a little bit more about Mankato and their particular situation, which has, which has been unique to say the least. Um, yeah, but all eyes 
are down in the Sunshine State right now in the College Hockey World. Four o'clock Central Time, number one Minnesota against number five Boston University on April 6th, that Thursday. Same day, 7.30 Central, number three Michigan, number two Quinnipiac uh, to go to the National Championship game. That, of course, is on Saturday, April 8th, 7 o'clock Central Time. The winners of both of those games, of course, match up for the final dance in the college hockey world on the men's side here, Nick. Uh, well, let's start here. Number one, Minnesota, number five, BU, the early game here. Who do you anticipate comes out of this game? And more importantly, what is the score of this contest? Oh, that's the more important thing. Okay. Um, <laughs> this one's close, man. Um, again, I completely botched that regional with, uh, with Boston university. Um, yeah definitely underestimated how good that team was uh, especially in the defensive side of the puck um you talk about a historic matchup right these are two teams that have played meaningful hockey in the past uh, it's been a little bit though for these two teams uh to be in sort of a situation like this but talk about a clashing of the titans right uh minnesota and boston university both uh with unique skill sets uh, very high-end skill sets right um this one's tough noah just because again Minnesota has got youth. So does Boston, right? They both have high-end skill, right? Um, for some of these players, it's the first uh, playoffs they've been in, and also now first Frozen Four. You kind of wonder if there's going to be some nerves um, uh, you know, involved in the game. I would imagine there is like an MLA uh, hosted last in 2018, so it's not been long since they've done, in fact, did such a good job that one day, uh, essentially the bidding process opened up again. Uh, NCAA said, oh, you're, you're applying again? All right, let's, let's do it again because that was cool. <laughs> um, so, But honestly, hats off to Tampa. They did a really good job of, of hosting this event, and um, Tampa, the city, kind of quietly becoming a hockey hotbed um, down there, whether it's the NHL or even college hockey. Uh, they've been really good. I, I have Minnesota in this matchup, and it's going to be, I think, a two to one, if not a three to one. I think it's going to be a low scoring game. Uh, I think for both of these squads, they're going to emphasize uh, puck management, smart puck decisions, puck IQ, right? And, you know, for Minnesota, right, you know, if you take away, you know, a lot of the five and five against St. Cloud, there wasn't a ton that they generated as far as grade A, but they were opportunistic. And when they had their opportunities, they took advantage of it, right? I think for both of these schools uh, that have that quick fire, quick strike capability, you're going to see that, but not at the expense of taking care of their own and their own goaltending. That's how I see it. It's going to be a physical battle um, as both teams want to wear each other down, played below the goal lines. It's going to be a 200-foot game. Uh, it's the most intriguing matchup, I think, between the two. Noah, what do you see in this matchup? I'm going to go with Minnesota four to zero. I'm going to say BU doesn't oh. even, doesn't even get on the board, and the reason I say that is because uh, BU uh, this season obviously kind of had a rocky road, and they've been slightly productive, and their shooting percentage suggests otherwise. But the one thing Minnesota has had that we really haven't said this about a Gophers team in a while is they've had consistent goaltending here, and Drew Camesso mm -hmm. in net for BU, of course, obviously has been serviceable and more than serviceable with a 914. But I think that's where the difference comes down is that I think BU is going to have a good push in that first. You know, honestly, pretty big comparable, St. Cloud Mankato. I, yeah. I anticipate that exact same rhythm where you're going to see where Mankato was the better team. They're BU in this particular instance. They have a good press. They give Minnesota a run for their money, and then the Gophers, their speed, their skill, their quick strike, their abundance of talent is going to take over. They're going to get, you know, one or two quickly here. BU is going to have a little bit of pushback maybe in the late second, early third. Gophers get that key catalyst third goal and then maybe tack on an empty netter to finish that hockey game. I'm going to say 4 nothing, maybe 4-1 if you want to be a little bit generous for BU. I think the Gophers 
punch their ticket to the national championship game. And I think they do it in fairly decisive fashion, not ragging on BU. I know you underestimated them a week and a half ago. Maybe I'm doing it (laughs) at this particular juncture and we're going to get a closer game like you mentioned, but that Gophers team, hate to say it, Huskies fans, I was pretty sold on them after I watched them last week in Fargo hit. I mean, they're they're a good hockey team, a very well-oiled machine. Who are they going to get, though? Quinnipiac, Michigan here. Quinnipiac, of course, is the home team, but boy, it doesn't really feel like it, does it? Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> for the, no. Uh, for the primetime game, uh, Peretz is going to have to be lights out, um, and can he stop the offensive onslaught of Michigan? Does this one have low-scoring Quinnipiac style or high-scoring Michigan 7-6 quadruple overtime written all over it? It's going to be one or the other, isn't it? Um, it's it's interesting because Quinnipiac also showed us in the regionals that they have some offensive ability too, right? Yeah. Um, probably more than we gave them credit for um, because, again, they're known for their staunch defensive play, uh, again, with Peretz, uh, a Richter Award finalist uh, who carries that squad. Uh, but again, the level of talent that this team is facing as far as up, you know, on the offensive, I don't think they've seen a team like this yet. So this is going to be quite of a challenge. Now for Michigan, um, one thing that tells me that this is going to be their game to lose is – Let's go back to the Big Ten Championship game. Uh, the lead changes, right? And their ability to kind of weather the storm and, and be able to kind of put things behind them. And again, they were down 3-2 and, you know, tacking on two and winning that game 4-3. They're a battle-tested squad. Not to say Quinnipiac isn't, but I think they're just missing that killer strike, that killer instinct up front. And I think Michigan has the edge here. And I think if you're uh, Quinnipiac at this game, opens up and it's a free-flowing hockey game, that's Michigan's all the way. If Quinnipiac can frustrate, can close down the neutral zone and really yeah. force Michigan to dump and chase uh, and just win those battles, if Quinnipiac can be a quick exit squad, um, this again, this Michigan squad, they're young, they're talented, but you know, can they weather that mental storm maybe of not having to be able to play the game that they like, which is generate chances off the rush, obviously get the cycle game going, create good offensive chances down low, work the puck up high, get shots from the point. Um, that's that pro style of play, which Quinnipiac is almost like what? In AIC, Mitch, you almost want to just frustrate and you know for Michigan. We saw that a bit last year with the IC and Michigan in Allentown. I was in um, attendance for that as AIC was committed to essentially blocking shots, getting in lanes. And Michigan, for a while, that game was close. It was like 3-1, 3-2 yeah. for a while. And then Michigan kind of pulled away after a couple of key goals. So it has that feel to me where if, if Quinnipiac can be sort of the disruptor, can be the frustrator, uh, they will come out on this. And if they can you know, turn some limited chances offensively into goals, they could steal this game. But to me, Michigan has this. I'm going to say 4-2 to two, Michigan comes out yeah. of this. What do you think? I'm going to go even lower. I'm going to say two to one in overtime. The Wolverines come out of this one. The reason being is Quinnipiac, their MO is defense. And so many years, year after year, we underestimate this Bobcats team. We say Quinnipiac's not going to this and that. They've got the goaltending to do it. I don't care what you say about Yaniv Peretz. I don't care what you say about the ECAC. This netminder has given his team a chance to win, and he's shown it on the national stage. Okay, So I feel like Michigan... They're just too much of an offensive powerhouse to be stopped, but I think Quinnipiac is going to give them as good of a run for their money as almost any team. Ohio State almost did as well, too. You know, that kind of gives you a a good example of where we're at here. I don't think it's going to be an easy path for Michigan. you got to realize Quinnipiac, yes, they had a – Fairly okay strength of schedule. They've allowed 60 goals this season, Nick. Compare that to Michigan, who, of course, is in the hotly contested Big Ten, 123. That's a little over twice as many goals allowed. Yes, strength of schedule. Yes, opponents play a big factor into that. But 
this Quinnipiac team has shown that that issue does not only sit within the ECAC. It extends well beyond that in their non-conference and their national play. Michigan comes out on top here. I agree with you. But like you mentioned, it's going to be a one or two goal hockey game. It's not going to be an easy fight for the Wolverines, who I think in both of our minds, it's going to be a Big Ten showdown for the national championship game on Saturday Oh, boy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. This is the game that I think a lot of people want to see. Uh, you know, the yeah. two powerhouses going at it uh, here. Oh, man. I Really, um, I don't even know if it comes down to goaltending because I don't know how much of a factor that's going to have in this one. Okay. I, I Apparently, I have a flair for the drama here. Yeah, Univers- you University of Minnesota, 4-3 one goal hockey game. I'll say it's in regulation. I'll stick away from the overtime, but I wouldn't be shocked if it hits the extra session. I'm going to say four to three is our final score. The Gophers win a national championship for the first time since 2003. Three to Michigan. Um, Ooh, okay. Yeah. It's uh, I, I picked Michigan in my bracket and it, this is not an easy bout, right? Noah, um, when you get two teams that are similar in terms of their makeup, in terms of how they play the game, it comes down to limiting mistakes, right? And minimizing you going to the box, right? I think special teams battle, you know, you talk about Mankato and Denver last year, right? Sometimes you just have to hang in there. Um, but that was two teams that played different styles of hockey, right? Where I think you're going to see with Michigan and Minnesota again, puck management's number one. Uh, to me, you know, uh, both of these teams, yeah. they know they've got dynamic players up front, uh, but you can't expense or risk defensive coverages for those types of quick outs. Um, so I think you'll see both uh, yeah. both teams pack in the middle of the ice. Uh, they'll try to get to that middle. I think you're going to see a lot more greasy goals um, in this mm. hockey game because, again, both teams know each other well. Michigan best them in the Big Ten. Again, it was a one goal hockey game back and forth. We'll see if uh, another pick lick decides to turn another defenseman to a pretzel. <laughs> um, but this could go either way. But I do have Michigan. Yeah. I know that the adage is, you know, you just saw him a couple weeks ago. Um, so you make adjustments here and there. But again, I don't know what adjustments you can make with these two squads that are really going to be that significant, right? It's just about limiting mistakes, limiting your your trips to the penalty boxes. Both these teams' power plays are absolutely lethal. So you got to win the special teams battle and you got to be the better team of even strength. So, uh, my gosh, if that's the battle we get, that's going to be one hell of a hockey game, and either team would be rightfully deserved to lift that national championship trophy um, at the end of it in Tampa. Yeah, I believe the last time Michigan was in the big dance in the national championship game, it was at the XL, if I'm not mistaken, and I believe it was Duluth, was it not, in 2011? Was that at the XL or somebody somewhere else? I thought it was at nope. the XL. That was Duluth. X. That, that was that, that was Duluth ended up being Michigan in overtime. Brett Larson yep. had, probably has a smile on his face somewhere, I'm sure. Um, but that's the other piece of this too. I'm going to try statistical analysis for the last time in the college hockey season. Although I don't know that this matchup has anything that will follow anything relevant. However, uh, the Wolverines two more games played for them this season. Uh, you look at what they've given up uh, as far as uh, shots on goal. They've given up almost. 150 more shots on goal um, than the Gophers have. And of course the Gophers only have given up 85 goals this season compared to 160 on of their own accord. Um, So that's something to kind of keep an eye on both teams, about 12 to 13% shooting percentage, everything pretty similar there. Um, Excuse me. Shots allowed here. It's actually a big difference. Uh, Michigan, it it was shots for that's 150. Um, 
uh, is the difference actually in favor of Michigan. So Michigan shoots more, but they give up more. In fact, they've given up almost 250 more shots than the Gophers have uh, this season. Granted, they played two more games, so maybe throw about 50 to 80 of those shots out of there, potentially. Um, a 908 save percentage for the Wolverines, a 921 for Minnesota. Special teams, the power play sitting around 23 to 26% for both of these teams. Penalty kill, slight edge to Minnesota, 83.7 to 77.3 respectively. And the faceoff percentage, a 4% edge, 53 to 49 uh, in favor of the Gophers in that matchup. Don't know that it matters all that much because the Big Ten Championship showed us otherwise how that game is going to be hotly contested. But Nick Maxson has the Michigan Wolverines. I have the Gophers. When is the last time Michigan has won a national championship, by the way? That's a great question. Has let's, it, has let's it find been, out. Has it been in the 2000s? Was it like 2001? If it, if, if it was, it would have been then, right? Yeah. Let me, let me check on this. Why don't you uh, give me a couple seconds here? Yeah, Michigan Wolverines hockey. I mean, uh, of course – as Ryan Stieg likes to give me a hard time, I always pull up the Wikipedia page because it actually does a really good job of telling us national champion on uh, 1998 uh, was the last time that they were able to get it done. The last time they were in the national championship game, as I mentioned, 2011 uh, frozen Four, of course, since that time, 2018. And then the previous two years, of course, and too many tournament appearances to count. So how about that? Yeah. So they beat Boston college and then they beat Colorado college in 96, uh, 60. And then they had a big run in the fifties, right? They, they went 51, yeah. two, three, five and six. So holy cow, uh, five out of six years uh, taking down Colorado college twice, Minnesota, Michigan tech and Brown um, in those matchups. So it's, it's been a hot minute for the Wolverines, but uh, yeah. uh, certainly with the rise of the big 10 uh, and the super conference that it is uh, no shock to see them back in the stage. And well, if there's any also, and this would be an interesting caveat to work with, how many, not just Michigan, but how many, like, shall we say, like regular season super teams, St. Cloud at 18-19, right? Yeah. That probably should have won a national championship just because of the body of work, did not win one. That would be quite the research story. Uh, fun you know, walked on. you know, the only negative thing that might come out of the fact that the Wolverines might stay alive for another night until the final game of the season is good thing there's not a specific uh, goal from the 1996 Frozen Four run that keeps getting played on repeat. Yeah, right. Yeah, uh, for Wolverines history, right? But nonetheless, uh, would not be shocked to see a goal like that at the Frozen Four in this particular, uh, you know, go around here, which is kind of crazy to say, no matter what John Tortorella likes to spout at us, of course. But uh, Nick, no secret. Down there in Tampa Bay, it's going to be an interesting week. The final one in the college hockey world, both on the men's and women's side, should be a good one. You won't want to miss it. Of course, women's hockey done as well. The Wild, three games this week, three games next week, and the Iowa Wild clinging by about four points onto fourth place in the Central. They've got six games remaining in their schedule. They only played once last week, I believe. So uh, keep an eye on them as they head down the stretch as well. For Nick Maxson, I'm Noah Grant, and we will see you soon in the Den. Coming, they score! Ripped in! A bomb from Perrix! So Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies alongside. Dwayne Kaprizov in for a chance to win it! He scores! Kirill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL!
six seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.